From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. We're honored that you're joining us today. Now I'm particularly happy to have some of our European and Mexican listeners joining us today. See, for them, the time of today's show is an hour earlier than it was during the summer due to them changing their clocks this past weekend. This week will be particularly confusing for anyone in Europe doing business in the U.S. or Canada and Canadians and Americans doing business in Europe. Frankly, I'm a bit confused which parts of Mexico already changed their clocks and which will change next week. So Mexicans that are doing other parts with, of uh, business with other parts of Mexico, you need to figure that out on your own. Now, while we're on that topic, let me remind our listeners in Canada and the 48 states within the U.S. that will change their clocks next weekend. Our shows in November and, of course, the December and onward will be one hour earlier than you're used to. Listeners in Arizona and Hawaii, of course, don't have to worry about the showtime changing. We have been and will continue to be airing at 9 a.m. Arizona time, and we just don't change our clocks here. Now, despite all of the new technology that brings the various corners of our global village together, these time changes seem to get more confusing rather than easier. I can only hope, so software developers out there, that you're working hard on the various calendar and scheduling programs to make it easier for the rest of us. Now, on today's show, we will try to answer the question, what education do financial professionals have? Our regular listeners will probably surmise that answering that question requires more than just five or ten minutes. Now, despite the many years I've been involved in finance investing, there seems to be more that I don't know on this topic than what I do know. So what better way to close that gap than to bring on an expert to help us, just as we often do on this show. Now, due to a last-minute schedule conflict, we have a slight change to today's show. Dr. Larry Barton was scheduled to join us, and with that schedule change, it just wasn't possible. He's asked Professor Alan McClellan to join in his place, and as I look through my list of questions for our guest today, I seem to have a record number of questions. Quite a challenge to be given in the last minute. Now, before we bring on our guest, I'd like to put this topic into context. If you pick almost any important geopolitical, economic, finance, or business issue, there will be as many opinions as to what effect those issues will have on your investments as there are investment advisors. Now, whether you feel that an issue will have a positive effect on your portfolio, or if you feel it will be negative, or you think it will have no effect at all, you'll find not just one, but potentially hundreds of experts who agree with you. You'll probably even find a few economists who will agree with you on one hand and disagree with you on the other. So who can you believe? Similarly, if you meet with four financial advisors to discuss this particular issue, you may find that you get up to four or even five different opinions as to how to adjust your portfolio. So who should you believe and who should you trust? Certainly they can't all be right. You should obviously ask their reasoning behind their view, and that will provide you a great deal of information as whether that reasoning is sound. 
Now, I prefer when it's grounded in the investment fundamentals, and even better if they can show me similar events in the past and how they worked out. I certainly realize history doesn't repeat itself, but very often it rhymes. And given that truism, I don't tend to be impressed by one of the experts if they tell me the reason for their view is this time is different. Now, there is another consideration that I have to admit I seldom ask when I'm meeting with financial advisors I don't already know. Ask them about their credentials or educational background. You see, if they have a bachelor's degree in beekeeping and uh, securities license, you may not feel quite as comfortable with their opinion as if they have a degree in economics or finance and a certification from a college or university that has accredited programs for investment professionals. So this goes back to the question I've used a few times on prior shows. Who do you take your financial advice from? Do you take it from your parents or teachers who rely heavily on their monthly paycheck to make ends meet? Do you take financial advice from your plumber or electrician? Or should you rely on a professional who's been educated in and makes their living by providing financial advice? Now, I realize it is possible someone with an education beekeeping or a licensed plumber or a licensed electrician might indeed be an outstanding investor. But they certainly can't have the same depth in the investment fundamentals and past market cycles as someone specifically educated to provide financial advice. One other piece of advice I've shared in the past is that following what the crowd does will give the results comparable to what everyone else gets. So if 95% of the population will never be wealthy, doing what everyone else does will lead to you also not being wealthy. Then doing what everyone else does, you won't be wealthy. And so often we follow the crowd. So a financial advisor's track record, number of wealthy clients they have, might be a good indicator of the quality and credibility of their advice. Now, personally, I prefer to stick with the investment fundamentals and making decisions and listening to and doing what wealthy people and very successful investors are doing than to listen to what some talking heads on TV are saying. I recently shared with you my frustration with the media touting that higher interest rates will kill the housing market recovery. Statements like, home starts were up despite the increase in mortgage rates, or we're in another housing bubble driven by low interest rates. These statements are driven by a simplistic supply-demand argument that as interest rates rise, fewer people will be able to qualify for a mortgage on their house they want to buy, and thus demand will decrease and prices will follow. But it ignores the current level of affordability. You see, these journalists, uh, journalists excuse me, are almost as bad as politicians who make statements like, soon the only people who will be able to buy homes will be those who can afford it. Hmm. Sometimes you wonder if these guys graduated from grade school. Whereas the housing market experts who've been guests on this show have said, and historical data shows there's no meaningful correlation between interest rates and housing prices. If anything, there are times in history when prices rose as interest rates rose. So clearly, the simple supply-demand argument just doesn't hold water when you analyze the actual historical data. So if you plan to invest a significant amount of your portfolio in real estate, I don't suggest making those decisions based on what the talking heads on TV or in the newspapers are saying. You're much better off tuning into the Wealth DNA radio show. Incidentally, we covered that specific topic just one month ago when we talked about your $100,000 windfall. If you missed it, it will be well worth your time.
Now, just before you get to meet our special guest, let me remind you, today is October 28th, 2013. It's 9.08 oh, in uh, Arizona, 12.08 p.m. on the East Coast, where our guest is, and 17.08 in continental Europe. It's the only day ever like it, so we'll do everything possible to make it a good one. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. The show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. Now, I certainly hope you can join us each time we air, but if you miss a show like the one on the $100,000 windfall I mentioned, you can find it on the archives. Just go to wealthdna.us, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. Now, we welcome your questions, comments, answers during the show. If the number of uh, questions uh, that I already have for the guests are long as they are today, I recommend using the chat window below the radio player. And if you haven't scrolled down there, there is a chat window for coming in through the Internet, and you're able to actually put in a chat there. Now, the other alternative is to call in. You can call in 917-388-4162. That number is shown at the top of the screen. The U.S. equity markets, after setting their 31st record high this year on the S&P 500, that was just Friday, they're off to a flat, or what I'll call an undecided start. Asia was up, with Japan up actually pretty dramatically, 2.2%. Europe is down, and Brazil is up about 1%. Always a bull market somewhere. Our special guest today to cover educating financial advisors is Professor Alan McClellan. Now, I need to share with you his certifications to have you fully appreciate today's topic. He is a LUTCF, CLU, CHFC, CASL, CFP, and also RICP. Professor McClellan is Adjunct Professor of Insurance and Academics at the American College. For those of you not familiar with the American College, it is the largest accredited institution in the U.S. devoted to insurance and financial services. It's located in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, a suburb of Philadelphia, right on the main line. Professor McClellan earned his B.S. degree from the U.S. Air Force Academy his M.S. in Aeronautical Engineering from the Air Force Institute of Technology, and served over 21 years as an Air Force officer. Great to hear. He retired as a lieutenant colonel and worked for nearly 16 years already as an insurance agent, registered representative, and financial planner. Alan has written numerous articles for Advisor Today and presented workshops at both the Financial Planning Association and NIFA national conventions. Let's give Professor Alan McClellan a warm radio welcome. Alan, so glad you were willing to join us on such short notice. Thank you, Ron. I'm glad to be here and excited about the uh, the next hour. All right. Well, we will be putting you through your paces. We had a lot prepared here for uh, Dr. Barton and unfortunately couldn't join us. So you step in and, uh, boy, that is short notice, but we really are. uh, We applaud your uh, bravery. Absolutely. It's not Bob's (laughs) bullets. (laughs) <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. Well, we're kind of puts it in perspective. Anyway. No bombs, no bullets, right? Exactly, exactly. And it's a pretty friendly audience as well. We're all here to learn and share ideas together. Now, I gave a brief overview of your background. How do you introduce yourself if you're at a cocktail party among friends like you are here? I would generally tell them now that uh, I'm associated with the American College, that I am an instructor of insurance and, and financial services topics 
and that I pr- help provide um, continuing education courses for people in the financial services industry, along with getting their designations uh, to, you know, be more competent, more knowledgeable, and, and better serve their clients. I also uh, love uh, music. I'm a guitar picker and a sometimes songwriter. So, wow. Well, those are some talents we don't share. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't have those musical inclinations, and most people leave church if I start to sing. Okay. So, I would guess the American College was founded many years ago, probably before your and my uh, my time, to reserve that name, the American College. When was it founded, and was the focus always on for financial professionals? Well, I gave you the very short version. Uh, there's an extraordinary man by the name of Dr. Solomon Hebner, um, a Wisconsin okay. farm boy, incredible guy. Uh, born in 1882, graduated high school at 16, had his Ph.D. from the Wharton School of Business at, uh, in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. uh, University of Pennsylvania, at 23. He was at the time the youngest doctoral uh, awardee. Uh, incredible man. Uh, he is considered the father of, of life in, modern life insurance in the United States. He also was a nationally recognized expert in marine insurance, which was huge at the time testified in many uh, panels for Congress and wrote many books on the subject. The reason I mention him is mm-hmm. he, he had the goal to put life insurance uh, in the industry on a very professional setting, similar to the CPA, you know, the, uh, the Certified Public Accountant right. uh, business. And at that time, uh, as he was growing up, there were uh, a number of scandals. Um, the life insurance industry had developed an extremely bad reputation. Uh, there were uh, large hearings in New York called the Armstrong Committee in 1905. And uh, Dr. Hebner had this goal of, again, uh, putting it on a very professional footing. So bottom line, he, it, it took him some time, but in 1927, he founded the American College of Life Underwriters. Life Underwriter, um, a kind of a somewhat archaic term, but referred to the life insurance uh, agents as life underwriters. Mm-hmm. So one more quick thing. He, what he did is he created a system of readings. He wrote many of the books himself. Uh, he they had national exams, so you self-studied, and when you got to the point where you wanted to take your exam, you went and, you, and signed up. They were essay exams, and they, uh, the, failure, the failure rate in those days was like 65%. In other words, wow. the pass rate around 35%. Um, and, and if you successfully passed those exams, you got the designation of chartered life underwriter. Again, somewhat parallel to the CPA designation with the same degree of, um, of uh, intensity and, and difficulty in getting it. That CLU was the exclusive designation in the insurance industry for decades, and, and many of the top people in the major insurance companies in the country um, got that designation and went on up the chain in their, in their uh, uh, various companies. Hmm, very interesting. So its roots are in the insurance profession. 1927, and yes. Exactly. So we're talking 90 years ago, and a lot of the things that are in yep. place today, in essence, he got started you know, 90 years ago. It's just uh, amazing how uh, you know, you got to have the foresight to do things the way they're done today or, or vice versa. We really haven't you know, built too much uh, new stuff on top of that. 
Well, he was very visionary and 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 extremely strong in his views. He he covered the country, uh, giving talks and seminars and classrooms. Uh, he was just a a bundle of energy. Lived to be eighty two and was still teaching, you know, nearly right up to the time of his death. Um, but he uh, again he viewed life insurance as a calling, and, and in in your readings, his readings. You see that he wanted it to be a profession, you know, not unlike the profession of law, of medicine, and 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 the clergy. Um, mm-hmm. He uh, helped to create a a um, uh, code of ethics for the CLU, which which is still in existence today, where uh, agents, advisors who get that CLU designation, uh, you know, affirm that code of ethics and put it into uh, their practice. Now, has it been then a gradual evolution, a kind of growth uh, for the American College to be gradually adding other professional designations? Because you obviously now handle many, yeah. many of them, uh, not yeah. just in the insurance profession. Yeah, the college has certainly uh, evolved in the you know eighty-six years, uh, soon to be eighty-seven years that it's mm-hmm. been in existence. Uh, in particular, the the financial planning um, industry, I would call it. Uh, really took off in the late 70s and into the 80s. Uh, some reasons for that, just very quickly, sure. and, and not not uh, an insignificant reason, is that people are just simply living longer. Uh, even into the 1940s and 50s, uh, you know, people uh, had a life expectancy of, you know, 65, 67 years. Exactly. Uh, today, and this is extremely important for our listeners, um, a 65-year-old male today, on average, uh, statistically, in the United States, according to the Social Security um, uh, you know, tables, mm-hmm. has about a 50% chance of living to be, to be 84 years old. So, you know, another, like, 19 years. Now, a woman, age 65, statistically, 50% chance of living to about 88 years old. So someone, you know, retiring at 65 can reasonably right. expect to live 20, 25 years in their retirement. So that was uh, that was a relatively new thing uh, in, until the, uh, the 70s and, and the 80s. Uh, so in the 1980s, we added our second designation at the American College, and that was the Chartered Financial Consultant, the CHFC. Okay. And and that chartered financial consultant goes into uh, you know six or seven other very basic topics associated with financial planning. So very quickly you have financial planning itself, the steps of financial planning. Certainly you have risk management to include life insurance, disability, and so on. Mm-hmm. But then you have uh, investments, you have income taxation, uh, and you have estate planning. And and then a, a practicum of doing a, a full blown comprehensive financial plan, and and now dem, you know demonstrating that uh, for the for the grade, so that CHFC was our second uh, major designation, and then mm-hmm. about the same time we added a master's degree in financial services, uh, which we still offer today. Okay. Before we forget, let's get the website out to our listeners. Some yeah. of them are multitaskers. They like to do yeah. research while they're listening. So that is www.theamericancollege.edu. All That's spelled out, theamericancollege.edu. 
Okay, that should be simple enough. Just remembering edu, since we are talking about an educational institution as opposed Correct. to the typical .com or .biz or any of those endings exactly. Now, Correct. in addition to getting an overview of the college on that website, I assume there are ways for in, in, you know individuals to get information or actually be able to register and, and find out about this, the details of those professional designations. Correct. Absolutely. There is a link on the main, uh, you know, web page uh, for all of the designations. Uh, you can uh, click on them. You can see the courses that are involved in the designation. Uh, any other requirements, such as a, you know, time of uh, of service uh, requirement, and so on. Uh, there's also a phone number that you can call and speak to any of our, you know, dozens of counselors that um, are very knowledgeable of the entire curriculum and can you know, give individual advice on uh, what courses might be appropriate for an individual. Okay. And uh, given, given uh, we want to kind of keep it focused in, in our show, sure. knowing the general interest of our listeners, I'll, I'll kind of steer you toward the investment professionals. So we sure. are talking the financial advisors, more or less the CHFC type of designation uh, that you talked about, which I know you also have. So yeah. uh, it, you know, it just makes sense because otherwise we'll have so much to cover. Yeah, it's broad. It's very, absolutely exactly. very broad. Now, I admit it right at the very beginning of the show that I'm not very, very well versed on the various licenses, designations that are used, um, and, and so I really think most of our listeners aren't either. Can you help us understand some of the alphabet soup we see on the on the cards? Uh, you know, you've got uh, at least six of them, which obviously you've gotten a lot of training and certification. But what are some of the most significant ones people should look for when they see a business card? Well. Let me answer. I will answer that. Let me just give you briefly, um, sure. because it's it's important to understand the the level of of the designations that I'll be mentioning here. Um, the CHFC, for example, that I mentioned, that is a chartered mm-hmm. financial consultant, heavily involved in financial planning, involves uh, nine courses, individual courses, but each of those courses is is equivalent to a semester long college course. So that'll help your your, okay. your listeners visualize it. Uh, very in-depth. So you're looking at textbooks, you know, two and a half to, to three inches thick, uh, you know, 20 to 25 chapters of roughly 40 pages each. That would be, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. a typical course. So they're very in-depth. Uh, so with the CHFC, for example, there are nine of those courses um, on those topics that, that I had mentioned. Mm-hmm. I'll also mention that the American College does not own the Certified Financial Planner designation, the CFP, which many of your listeners will have heard of. Correct. However, we do provide the courses for that designation. Mm-hmm. So in other mm-hmm. words, many advisors take their courses from us and then go and take the national exam under the auspices of, of the CFP board. Um, and as an aside, I will say that our success rate for those taking that national exam are significantly higher than than the national uh, average. So uh, there's a certainly value added there, we believe, for the, well, we, we can testify, value added for the students that come through our curriculum and then go and take the CFP exam. Oh, okay. I can, you know, yeah. I can only imagine the difference yeah. between having the education yeah. formally and going yeah. through a, you know, structured course. Yeah. Now, the reason I mentioned the, the level of, of, of study, again, visualize, uh, for example, in that CHFC, nine college-level courses. Right. That's roughly you know, two to two and a half years of college-level uh, material that you're taking. Mm, so it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's broad and it's deep. 
that's what I would emphasize. So, for example, when we do risk management, we go we go broadly, but we also go deeply into life insurance, disability, long-term care, uh, group uh, and and individual medical insurance, Medicare, Social Security, uh, and and so on. So it's quite deep. All right. Now, given around the, the country, let alone the world, there are you know yeah. hundreds of thousands of various investment advisors. They have various yeah. titles, designations. Right. Uh, I can't imagine all of those are alumnus of uh, or alumna uh, alumni of the. Uh, uh, the American College, uh, no. you know, are, are they have different levels of education throughout that, and you know, no. how many do you educate? I guess is one of the first questions. Well, we have we have tens of thousands of alumni. Um, I, 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 this is a uh, a figure I, that I've seen quoted most recently, but something mm-hmm. in the neighborhood of 160,000, you know, alumni. Wow. Wow. Now, uh, they can have, uh, again, today, in any of our, like, 12 designations uh, that uh, that we've, we've added over the years, the CLU, which was the flagship and the cornerstone of the mm-hmm. college, is still being offered today. But then we have uh, designations, as I said, the CHFC and financial uh, counsel- consultant. We have a, a chartered health consultant. Uh, we have mm-hmm. a chartered special needs consultant. Um, and uh, you know, along with several others there, um, but but back to the issue of where these other designations come exactly. from. I mean, quite frankly, uh, I, I was an advisor for 16 years. You know, advisors want to, uh, let's say, hold out to the public that they are uh, educated, knowledgeable, and credible. And so, as a consequence, uh, some of the advisors are out to get a. Um, you know, I don't say a, a, a worthless designation, but certainly none a, a designation that does not require the level of work that I've just explained to you that our designations do. Uh, mm-hmm. They are sometimes referred to as weekend designations where, you know, you literally could go to uh, very often in a hotel room or, or a hotel conference room, uh, you know, study eight hours, maybe two days, uh, and, and take a, um, you know, multiple choice exam and walk out of there with the designation. Right. Um, I, I have seen those. I know what's involved in them, and, and they are not a 30-second cousin to the, to the level of uh, commitment and, and uh, depth of knowledge that we have in, in these designations that I'm mentioning here. Um, okay. Let me, on that note, maybe remind yeah. our listeners they're tuned to the Wealth DNA radio show. I'm your host, yeah. Ron Naraki. I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. If you've missed some of the prior shows or if you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive on wealthdna.us. If you'd like to get an email reminder of the shows, you can do one of two things or both. Send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep yeah. you posted about future shows and events. Or in the upper left-hand side of the screen, just under the Boomer and the Babes picture, follow, there is a follow button. Just click yeah. there. They'll keep you posted. Now, a reminder, during the radio show, we welcome you, our listeners, to ask questions. The easiest to start a chat in the area below the radio player. Our topic today is educating financial advisors with our special guest, Professor Alan McClellan, adjunct professor at the American College. Okay, Alan, let's let's step back for a second to kind of the typical financial advisor I might meet at a, a networking session or uh, that might call me. Uh, they clearly don't have all of these. You know, we, we typically might refer to them as stockbrokers. They don't mm-hmm. have that level of education, do they? 
typically not in the beginning. No, the the typical stockbroker is, is going to come in and um, his or her first task is to pass uh, what would be called a Series 7 securities mm-hmm. examination. Now, in all honesty, that's a um, it's a diff- it's a difficult test. I've taken it. Okay. Um, it's uh, as I recall, you know, a, f- a four-hour exam or so, multiple choice exam. Uh, in studying for that, uh, you're you're looking at all of the basics of um, stocks, uh, bonds, uh, mutual funds, um, some alternative investments, limited mm-hmm. partnerships, and so on. So successfully passing that exam, uh, and, and and I how can I, it's not, you know, it's not an, an impossible exam, but I would think right. that I think the first time pass rate is in the neighborhood of 65 to 70 percent, okay. and and many people do end up taking it two or even three times before they pass it. Uh, most of the ones that take it will take what is called a, a crash course for it, where they'll mm-hmm. meet, say, eight hours a day for a week uh, or perhaps four full days uh, and just drill, 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 take sample exams over and over again uh, to get them up to speed to pass that exam. So what that exam is going to allow them to do, that's going to allow them to place stock trades, uh, uh, buy and sell bonds, uh, offer limited partnerships, and um, and some of the alternative investments and so on. Okay, so it would be a little bit like the analogy I might use as a realtor's license. It allows them to be in and, and sell, yeah. uh, in this case, securities. I think that's a good analogy. That is the, I would call it the basic entry level to allow you to do your job. So there's some equivalence there to the real estate license. Now, along with that, uh, if you're you know, on with ABC Company, you're going to have internal training on internal procedures, forms, um, uh, you, know, uh, you know, the ins and outs of what you can do and what you cannot do and, and, and so on. But the primary basis for that stockbroker is going to be uh, recommending uh, investment products. Not a great deal of comprehensive estate or, or I'm sorry, retirement planning or, or financial planning. Now, there will be some subsidiary financial planning just um, just in the course of things where you would do a fact finder but the, the the major focus is going to be placing uh, investment products for that client. Okay. Now, I see uh, those folks might carry titles like financial advisor, investment advisor, right. uh, sometimes even financial planner, uh, and they're used by a variety of different – is there some real distinction between those names, or are they kind of company-specific, what we decide to call our people? I'm, I'm just got to tell you, it's all over the map, Ron. Uh, okay. Companies can choose to call their um, advisors uh, nearly anything. And the reason I say nearly, mm-hmm. there are mm-hmm. some states that very specifically designate a financial planner as having uh, certain designations. So, for example, some states require you to hold the Series 7 uh, certification that I just described before you can hold yourself out or call yourself a financial planner. But even that, you see, varies by state. So I would just say to your listeners, um, what the individual calls himself or herself is is not the best indicator of of their qualifications. Uh, And if there's one piece of advice, and maybe we're not at that point, but it is to question that person 
what designations do you have? And just tell me a little bit about what's entailed in getting that. How long did it take you to get it? What are the courses that you studied? Uh, what is your, you know, what is your opinion of the level of difficulty of those courses? Uh, I would have no problem talking to a client, uh, you know, as to what my designations are and and the time and the commitment that I uh, had to get them. So exactly. All right. No, it definitely makes sense. And with that, so some of those, you know, the, the people that are getting their Series Seven wouldn't have come to the American College necessarily. But how no, many sir. years of background is either required or what's typical? of the students that you'll see at the American College uh, when, they're, when they're incoming to work on a, a certification or, or, or take education at uh, the American College? What's, what's typical and what's absolutely you know, kind of minimum before they would show up there? Yeah. Well, to answer that, let me just say that we have a hierarchy of education from a very beginning basic level all the way up now to the Ph.D. level. We now have a, a, a doctorate in, in financial services and retirement planning. Uh, now that has come into effect just in this in this last year, but we all we also have two master's degrees: uh, a master's in management with an emphasis in leadership, and then a master's in financial services. Uh, so, from the typical client, we we get a number of brand new agents. I mean, they are uh, newly minted. Uh, who come into uh, our our basic um, uh, courses that have traditionally been called the Life Underwriter Training Course um, Fellow Courses. That is one of my designations, and that is Mm -hmm. the first one that I received uh, within a year or two after I went into the business. Uh, Those courses are, let's call them, broad but not nearly as deep as the Mm -hmm. later courses. They are really introductory. We want those agents to uh, understand financial planning, uh, some about investments, some about insurance, uh, some estate planning, and so on. But we're really giving them the basics so that, quite frankly, they they can survive in the business. And and here's how I say it, Ron. What do you need to know? to be a really good advisor? And the answer is an awful lot. And you simply cannot learn it all in the first six months to a year. But we we want to give you a broad overview of the industry and of these topics so that you can then speak, uh, you know, knowledgeably about, you know, stocks and bonds and mutual funds and so on, uh, and knowledgeably about insurance, term and whole life and universal and so on, knowing that uh, you're going to get experience as you go if you can survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality is this is a difficult business, and many of you, many of your listeners may be um, surprised to find that uh, about 85% of people who go into financial services um, you know, do not survive beyond about the four-year point. Interesting. Now, now yes, that's it, it's it, you know, if it were easy, everyone would be doing it. Sure. So that advisor that is at the five, six, eight-year point in their career, they they're doing some things well, uh, meaning they uh, have a clean record. They're still getting referrals and 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 satisfied clients. So. Okay. Now, I assume in this current Internet age uh, that some of the courses and certifications can be done remotely versus all of students coming to uh, Bryn Mawr. Is that correct? That is correct. And we, uh, in the last five to six years, we have certainly uh, answered the call on that. 
It's really interesting, though, Ron. I do a lot of uh, online courses, mm -hmm. uh, and they're really excellent for some students. But we're finding, you know, and again, this is an approximation, we're finding 30% or so, uh, even of the younger students, they're still wanting that face-to-face. And mm -hmm. so we accommodate that, too. We do have courses that are face-to-face, -face and um, we have a, a, a very interesting concept we call an intensive review program where the students, um, you know, get the courses for six to eight weeks, study on their own, and then we come in and give them a very intensive review uh, prior to their exam. And that, that has proved very popular. No, I can definitely see some benefits doing face-to-face. Yeah. Face. If nothing else, you yeah. get the reaction of, of another Absolutely. student or your instructor of what, an, you know, what yeah. a, a client of yours might uh, react to the comments yeah. you made. Uh, learning what to say and versus how to say it sometimes are two different things. Okay. Yeah. Now, I assume if, if we look across all uh, you know, the various uh, certifications and, and uh, courses that you teach, uh, certain, are, certain of them are much more demand than the others. Which are the ones? that you know the vast majority of the students would be going to today and I understand over time that's yeah. been evolving but what would be the you know the most popular courses today well our 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 flagship courses are the uh, the, the CHFC uh, the CLU and and then the CFP courses once again I'll just remind you we don't own the CFP designation sure. but we are the uh, I think still the largest provider of the courses uh, uh, in in the nation, so a lot thousands of students go take their courses from here and then get their designation uh, through the CFP uh, organization. Actually, you know, you uh, you, yeah. you give that statement the the opposite of what you would have expected. I mean, I expected most of these were kind of you know national designations, uh, and that uh, you know you do the coursework and prepare them for for you know kind yeah. of a standardized exam. So the fact that you actually own some of these certifications oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is is you know something I didn't expect. Well, that's been that's been the history. You know, we owned. Uh, if you think of the, the American College, was initially built around the Chartered Life Underwriter uh, designation, which was for decades uh, virtually the only one, and and certainly the gold standard among uh, insurance uh, agents and professionals. As the market turned and became more, uh, you know, financial planning and financial services. The, co the college responded again with the CA. Exactly. Whoops. Are we still have you? Alan, did we just lose your voice? Uh, I am not hearing your voice. I think we may have dropped off. Now, the question is if I've dropped off or if uh, Dr. Uh, I mean, it's Professor uh, McClellan has dropped off. My um, system seems to have frozen up here, too which is interesting, so I'm not, not sure what the heck is going on. Let me uh, remind you, Art, you're listening to the Valtina Radio Show with a little bit of difficulty here. Uh, we have lost our guest at the moment, it appears. Either that or I am totally lost, I don't know which, or that the show has gone down. I mean, all sorts of possibilities until I have a little bit of feedback. But at this point, I'm trying to get a chat message to our producer. Um, and for whatever reason, I am not getting there. Right, so somehow I should be able to get a message, and I'm not hearing back. If some of the listeners would let me know what's uh, happening as well from your end, are you uh, hearing my voice? Are you hearing 
uh, Professor Allen so that I know which one of us has dropped off. And I'm, I'm sure showing my line is alive, but that doesn't mean that um, you know the show hasn't uh, gotten interrupted here somewhere. So uh, if you can send the quick chat message, if you're able to do that for whatever reason, I am not able to uh, to get in here, um, and I will try that again. Hey, Pete, I don't know if, if you can send me a quick chat message. Where do we stand at the moment? Do we, uh, did we lose our guest or did you lose me? And uh, that way I'd have a better feel for, uh, for what's going on, what I need to do. But I just lost his voice mid-sentence. I know I didn't cut him off. I'm sure you didn't. But, um, you know, again, if you can let me know what, uh, what the status is, that would be helpful. I'm just worried that your panel has gone down completely because I'm not able to get a chat message in at the moment. Uh, let me try one more thing here. Hmm. It says to log in, but I am logged in. Um, huh. Well, I am hoping everybody is still listening to the Wealth DNA radio show. We were just talking about the most popular designations that uh, some of the investment professionals uh, get at the American College, that some of those are actually designations designed by and owned by the uh, American College, and others are national certifications. And uh, let me see if I can get a little more feedback here of what's happening. For some reason, I'm having trouble with my chat window, and it's refreshing okay. I am not getting um, through the normal way. Okay, here we go. Eight. Let me just check if we lost um, our guest or if we lost me. And it's hard to type and talk at the same time, but let me see what we've got going on here. Um, so far, no answer on that one, because one of the things that I wanted to find out is, with those designations, the most popular, whether those are indeed then stepping stones to uh, further education. We clearly know that those already are significant certifications above and beyond the Series C7 lesson, for example. Um, and uh, see if we can get some feedback here. Pete, I don't know what's happening. Are you hearing? Uh, any other uh, folks could let me know? Uh, listeners? Let me, let me know if you're hearing my voice and whether you're actually still online. So I'm just concerned that we may have lost uh, the the uh, panel, but I'm, I'm finding the panel is up. The chat window is now operating okay. I'm just not hearing our guest's voice. Uh, I do seem to have a live line. So anyway, let me, let me tell you a little bit about what we have covered. Maybe you do a little bit of a, a summary of this portion so far to not waste your time, and then we will come back, hopefully, with our guest here very shortly. I'm assuming his line died off, or we had a problem in the uh, studio that I am not fully aware of. Our, our topic, of course, today is educating financial professionals, and uh, we're hoping that this topic and even what we've covered so far would be helpful in picking your uh, financial advisor or advisors. Now, one of the key things I'll stress there is that as your portfolio grows, your wealth increases, you certainly will be working with more 
than one advisor. And those advisors will then specialize in various types of investments in your portfolio. And the series we've been doing on alternative investments is a good indicator of that. There are many, many types of investments that are beyond what most financial advisors either have expertise in. Uh, even if they understand them, it may turn out that their licensing or their company restricts them from offering some of those uh, products so that they then have this ethical dilemma, which I'd like to talk to about our guest which is, do I recommend something that may be good for my listener, uh, excuse me, good for listeners or our clients, but good for that advisor's client, but on the other hand, it would mean his income decreases because they move their money to another advisor for at least part of it. So that ethical dilemma is one of those that you can, you know, have, can be faced if your advisor is not allowed to offer certain products. And we've talked about one recently, which was options. There are some uh, houses, uh, some of the brokerage firms, uh, stock brokerage firms, that do not allow the use of options within their firm. They are clearly products within the uh, framework of what can be offered, but unfortunately, so those firms decide not to. So as a result, if you say, I want to do covered calls, I want to uh, buy some puts on, op on uh, stocks that I want to later buy when the price drops, then, uh, which we talked about on our last show, you may not be able to do that. Uh, another way is, for example, that some of them have very, very strong restrictions and really beat their advisors up if they offer MLPs, Master Limited Partnerships, which we talked about during this series, within an investment uh, uh, retirement account. And that a retirement account, it is allowed. There are certain requirements and there are certain uh, reasons for that restriction, but they're very, very strict to the extent that they kind of beat the financial advisor up so much for small amounts of, of those MLPs being in a retirement account, they just don't do it, even though it may be totally appropriate for that particular investor. So you have that dilemma. The advisor has that dilemma. You need to ask those questions. Now, one of the biggest surprises uh, that I've had so far on today's show is the number of students that the American College has educated. Literally 160,000 students have gone through the various programs at that school. So that means that there is, among the people you know, graduates of the American College. And what better way to introduce that question when you ask a financial advisor where they got their education or certification is by saying, I happen to hear the Wealth DNA radio show talking with Professor um, McClellan from the American College, wondering where you got your certification. The other thing that he emphasized, and I thought he, he said it very gently, was that the, the title that's on the business card is much less meaningful than the initials, the certifications following that. So in other words, the title can be set, and it's, it's not totally, but somewhat arbitrary between companies. So whether they're a financial advisor, investment buyers, or um, a stock and bond advisor, I mean, I'm not going to try to even guess all of the different titles out there. That really does not uh, mean nearly as much as the certifications. There they have to have those certifications in order to put them on their business cards, uh, or of course, they're, they're uh, committing fraud. And the um, other thing, we won't have time to cover that today, even as we get our uh, guest back on here shortly, is the dilemma of do I hire an advisor on a commission basis 
or do I pay them for their services? And uh, that's, that's always a choice. The commission basis, I don't have any upfront fees as I make trades or uh, invest more or make changes to my portfolio, I have those costs, those commissions are built into those transaction fees. Whereas if I hire my financial advisor on a fee basis, and then my transactions usually are essentially uh, free of charge, uh, I have that upfront cost. I don't know what it's going to be worth. I don't know uh, whether my um, money is being well spent. So there is that debate. And, of course, there's a third category of people that do it on a mixture of fees and commissions. I won't try to tell you which one is right because I think uh, it really does depend on your situation and the particular financial advisors. Uh, I always worry about the one that takes uh, both, which says I'll charge you a fee and then we'll also pay some commissions as we make trades. Uh, But, again, that won't be a topic we would try to cover today. The, uh, usually most of us are more interested in the growth of our portfolio. And as we've had bull markets, as we have in the last five years for uh, equities and uh, also for 30-plus years for bonds, then you know most of the time we're pretty pleased that our portfolio is going up better than we had expected. We're very happy with our financial advisor. Now, when we hit some of those bull markets, uh, excuse me, the bear markets, which we will experience again in the future, all of a sudden, their financial advisors aren't as smart as they were just recently. So when those losses start to happen, we start questioning the value of that financial advisor. Well, wait, while we wait to find out what's happening with our show here, uh, let me try to um, remind our, our listeners something uh, that uh, I should have even mentioned earlier, is that uh, you are listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. We are, uh, you know, here every uh, twice twice a month, second and fourth Monday. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. And if you missed the earlier part of the show, uh, when we've had the meat of our program to date, the uh, that is available on WealthDNA.us. We have a full list of archives on that site, which will show you prior shows. You can listen to the earlier portion of this show, as well as other shows, past and future, through that website. Today, our guest uh, has been. Professor Alan McClellan, he's uh, willing to take on the many questions we'd prepared for uh, Dr. Larry Barton, the uh, president of the American College. Uh, Professor Allen is an adjunct professor. We're discussing educating financial advisors. And if you're not familiar with the American College, it is the largest accredited institution in the U.S. devoted to insurance and financial services. located in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, a suburb of Philadelphia. Well, it does not look, and we're in the last 10 minutes here, that we are going to recover from this um, mild disaster here. Besides the last-minute change with uh, Dr. Barton, we have lost our guest, uh, although, uh, quite frankly, until I hear the archive, I won't be sure if I've been lost either, because I'm not getting any feedback. Our producer may be having uh, problems on the um, on the panel. We may have lost the show but if you are hearing my voice, that would be great. Also, let me know through the chat window so I get some feedback, and I'll try to wrap up uh, the remainder of the points. So I mentioned one of them, which is this: uh, how they are structured on a, on a commission basis that we wouldn't have a chance to talk about today. Uh, the other thing is that uh, the American College happens to be in this kind of unique position of both doing the financial, uh, all sets of financial professionals, both insurance and investment is what I was going to say, 
And with that, a question I would love to ask, and we wouldn't have time today, was there are some financial products that are sold by insurance professionals, and I'll specifically pick on indexed annuities, that really are investments because their value is tied to the stock market. Yes, they have an insurance component, but they really are securities. So the question is, do insurance professionals really have the background and the skill to be able to be selling those products. They like to sell them. They tend to be fairly high commission for that salesperson. But the question is, are they appropriate to be sold through the insurance channel? Well, that is a question we'll definitely ask some of our guests on the future shows. Uh, the other questions that I didn't get a chance to ask our guest, and we will have a reschedule of the second portion of this sometime in the near future, is uh, that with those various designations that are most popular, and he had mentioned the CLU on the insurance side, the CHFC and the CFP, those are the ones that are most common most students are taking. The question I don't know the answer to, is it they're most popular because they're the ones most desirable out in the uh, marketplace and those uh, the people in demand, or is it because they're stepping stones to further designations and further degrees, much like the analogy uh, I would use is what we talked about earlier in the show, which is the Series 7 is your basic one. And until you have that, you really can't get started. The other thing I wanted to talk to him about is if we had some of the alumni on the air today and ask them to contrast how their uh, education was at the American College and, and really try to do that by saying, uh, what were some of the things you really learned while being there that you wouldn't have known otherwise? Or, or maybe there were some aha moments during that training. What were some of those that really jumped out and said, hey, this really had value for me? And then I wanted to talk about the flip side of that, which is take the investor's perspective. If that advisor, um, they knew that advisor prior to, and then after uh, spending the time at the American College going through additional certification, what are some of the differences that client would perceive? The real key one I wanted to focus on with him is this ethical dilemma I touched on, which is that... Uh, Everyone that makes money by managing investors' uh, money is always faced with, do I do the right thing for the client or do the right, do the right thing for my bottom line? And there can be a distinct difference. And how do they set up their curricula to uh, decide what each of these students need to know? And secondly, how do they build that ethical training into there? because there is some factual and some, some uh, specific uh, certification-required courses, but this ethical kind of question, is that built into the certification, or are these courses that they would also include? So I think that's a, Rod, probably the most... Rod, your, yes. guest, your, your, your guest is back. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, appreciate that. Alan, welcome back. Yes, can you hear me? I sure can. I sure can. You just yeah, dropped off mid-sentence. I've heard you the whole time. I, oh, you I, have? Okay. You, yeah, yeah we you were not okay. hearing me, so sorry about okay. that. Well, uh, okay, well, that is uh, good news So that I was on. Because, <laughs> you know, quite frankly, I wasn't sure what was happening, whether we lost the whole show or I was lost or you were lost. So anyway, that's good. Yes. But I, I just started touching on some of those questions. Let me let me go to the one that was next logical one. We were talking okay. about the, the kind of the most uh, prevalent 
yeah. degrees or, or programs of the CLU, CHFC, right. and the CFP. Now, is that because they are the most valued out in the marketplace, or are they also because they're stepping stones to later to later certifications? I think they're certainly the most valuable among the major um, financial services companies. Okay. Uh, in other words, they are filling the gaps that uh, that brand new agent or advisor needs. Um, the large companies certainly have internal training. Uh, they typically call them learning and development, uh, in which they would give you know basic um, uh, investment courses, uh, life insurance, and so on. But quite frankly, over the years, uh, many of those large companies, and I, w- I won't name them you know, because sure. I fear of omitting one or two, but exactly. uh, they're, they're all big names that you would, re- you, you would recognize immediately. And many of them have decided that the courses that we have are uh, you know, hard to improve on, quite frankly. And mm-hmm. so uh, they run the gamut. Many of the companies uh, virtually require their new agents and reps, uh, representatives, to, to take the courses. Uh, hmm. They foot the entire bill for them. Uh, in many cases, what they do is the student enrolls. Once he or she passes that course, they present the uh, certificate of completion, and they get a full refund you know, of the tuition. Okay. So many of the very large it. companies uh, you know, highly emphasize uh, this professional education for their agents. Um, the, the other part is that many of the traditional life insurance companies have, in fact, become more uh, financial services companies, so they're offering... Mm-hmm. Uh, they're offering uh, universal life insurance, variable life insurance, various forms of annuities, uh, and in some cases, you know, have their own broker-dealers through which now they offer uh, brokerage services, stocks, bonds, ETFs, um, and, uh, you know, limited partnerships and the whole thing. Okay, and I guess that has also to do with some of the glass walls or the the, the Chinese walls between the uh, companies that were also broken down over the, the past years that allowed definitely them to do true. that. Yeah, yeah. If we had some of your uh, past alumni on the air today and asked them, mm-hmm. uh, when you left the American College and, and, and had your yeah. certification, your degree, whichever, what were some of the key learnings? What would what would some yeah. of them mention? Either key learnings or maybe even those aha moments that as they're going yeah. through a course, it all of a sudden starts to make sense. Well, I, I can certainly use myself. Well, I know what the students tell me. Uh, many of them will mm-hmm. email me back and 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 say that the course, you know, how valuable it was, and very often will actually give me um, uh, secondhand accounts of, of things that they've done for their clients. Uh, a quick example is uh, mm-hmm. dealt with uh, net unrealized appreciation, which, as you know, is uh, company stock that you get, let's say, in a uh, could be a profit-sharing plan or, or an ESOP. Mm-hmm. Um, that stock, as you know, you can you can sell it and roll it into an IRA, but what you've done then is you've created ordinary income on on the gains. Right. But if I but if I take a distribution of that stock, uh, pay the ordinary income tax on its cost basis as a distribution. Mm-hmm. Then I get full capital gains treatment on the pre- net unrealized appreciation that's in that stock. Now, in in a large IRA let's say, or large um, uh, ESOP, for example, we could be talking you know tens of thousands of dollars. 
mm-hmm. that uh, uh, can be saved by paying uh, capital gains versus ordinary income tax on that. And that exact scenario came back from a, a student of mine in, in my class on retirement planning, sent me an email back and said that he had um, you know, had a large uh, dealing with a client and was able to save that client thousands of dollars, tens of thousands, and was quite the hero. So this is just hmm. one example of where knowledge of the field, uh, you know, is is just is just crucial. Now, okay. in my own, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to, I was going to say let's let's look at because you you also have a number of these certifications, and I assume a lot of them are yeah. from American College. What you know, what, what yeah. was your experience? Well, I, again, I retired from the Air Force literally on a Friday and went to work on a Monday uh, for an insurance company, and and I knew that I did not know what all I needed to know, so I nearly um, almost immediately enrolled in what uh, the college is called the, the college it still does the Life Underwriter Training Course. And these were basic courses on life insurance, disability, long-term care, uh, estate planning, and, uh, uh, you know, the whole gamut. And I can remember I, it, I would come out of those classes and I would just, you know, just be wowed with, with the new knowledge, you know, that I, that I had, that had earned. And it's, um, it, it's, it's, it, to be expected, uh, really, uh, that that the more knowledge you have, the more uh, more confident you're going to have, mm-hmm. uh, the more confident you're going to be with that client, because you understand now you're you know uh, the more of the knowledge that you need to know. So you go in there with the confidence with the client. The client recognizes that, and that translates into trust, which is the all important factor. In vir- you know virtually any business relationship, uh, no one's going to want to do business with you if they don't first of all you know somewhat like you, but even more important, sure. trust you. Trust uh, you. It, you know, so. those are great. I think two good words to kind of the the, uh, the student side of it is building that confidence or gaining that confidence, and from the investor side is building that trust because the person does yeah. know what they're talking about and has yeah. the facts and and figures, not just uh, an opinion. Uh, which yeah. so often we hear. Well, let me just give you a quick, just a very sure. quick statistic. We keep, you know, we do a lot of studies on the uh, the worth of our educational programs here, and hmm. and what we find is uh, is that students' um, it, 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 earnings certainly is not the only indicator of success, but students uh, typically increase their earnings, you know, thirty to forty percent a year by you know very early in the process uh, after they've enrolled in our courses. And again, because of the knowledge, the competence, and, and the confidence that they get in, in um, approaching and working with, uh, with clients. Okay. Now, let me, let me hit on one of the tougher questions, which is the ethical sure. dilemma that every investment advisor faces uh, with virtually every financial investment decision uh, is, do they do what's good for their client or do they do what's good yeah. for their bottom line? And I think most of the mm-hmm. uh, bad news that comes out of the profession is when they make the decision for their own bottom line versus the clients. But are there any courses, I mean, is that part of some of the uh, curricula at the school that are just standard in the program, or do you add in some courses around this ethical dilemma to really understand that the the short-term gain they get from uh, making something to their benefit versus the long-term gains of building that trust and confidence, uh, uh, how do you deal with that? 
Well, ethics is, is literally built into every course and every designation. Um, then we, we have separate courses, for example, that students must take, uh, pass an exam on, uh, and, and then uh, we have the American College uh, Code of Ethics to which our graduates um, ascribe. Uh, and you know, one of those is the is sort of the, you know, the golden rule that you treat your clients as you would wish to be treated. Mm -hmm. um, and we have, uh, you know, occasionally we have a student or a, a designee that doesn't live up to that. Uh, we have panels that can hear a case against a graduate, and in some cases uh, remove the designation. So well, there is some, you know, there is some enforcement there. Um, yeah, unfortunately, as you know, it's bad news that sells newspapers. That'll always be the case. And, um, you know, the Bernie Madoffs of the world, uh, you know, justifiably uh, create a, a huge concern and a great fear. But what you don't hear are the thousands of, of life insurance agents and, uh, and, and financial advisors and planners that are out there every day, you know, doing it right. Mm -hmm. uh, and that this business, what we learn is is you can do an awful lot of good for people, and oh by the way, over time do well for yourself. You you can do you can do both. It's it's certainly not a uh, you know uh, either or. No, I like I, it. Does sound like you do an awful lot in that direction. Yeah. It does sound like maybe that would be one of the big values of having an education yeah. uh, beyond the the basics is yeah. is having that exposure. Very very uh, good answer. Appreciate that. Well, if it's going to be a profession, you know, there are elements of a profession. A profession has entry-level requirements. Uh, mm -hmm. They have a code of ethics. You look at the medical profession, the law, the legal profession. Uh, they have, uh, you know, a body of knowledge to which uh, people in that profession uh, ascribe, and they have continuing education. You know, who would want to deal with a doctor that got their degree 25 years ago and never, never studied up on the modern techniques of medicine. Uh, and, and so for our clients out there, the listeners that are with us today, um, you know, question your agents or your reps, uh, your financial advisors on that. Uh, how, how do you ensure that your knowledge is, is timely and current? Look at the tax changes, the estate tax changes just within the last year. Uh, you know, no one could justifiably call themselves a, you know, a professional advisor without being up to speed on the new tax and the state laws and so on. So how do you ensure you're, you're getting that, uh, the, those uh, new currencies? No, well said. Good, anal good analogy. Absolutely. Now, you know, one of the things our whole goal on this show is to help people build their wealth and to keep them focused mm -hmm. on the investment fundamentals. Uh, but there's so many topics, and it seems like, you know, as many as we've covered, there seem to be just as many ahead of us. Uh, yeah. How do you set up your curricula in such a way that you really do capture the most important uh, without making it a 20-year field of study? I mean, uh, how do you, how do you, yeah. you know, set up that curricula? Well, the, certainly the demand uh, for, for the knowledge in the field, uh, you know, drives our, our courses. Um, we have literally, and you would expect me to say this, but I'm going to tell you, we have uh, world-class faculty members who literally are leading the field in, in research and financial services. Um, most of them are also authoring uh, the books that are, provide the basis of the courses 
you know, that we're offering to the students. Uh, those books are revised, uh, uh, you know, on a timely manner to um, take into effect the changes in tax laws, estate planning, uh, new investments such as ETFs and, and, and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's a real commitment to currency. And, and trust me, if you're an author of one of those textbooks, you know, your, your commitment, your contract is to keep that uh, body of material uh, current and, and timely. Um, as to the body of knowledge, it is obviously a, um, a, a culling process, you know, what goes in the text and, and what is, does not go into the text. And I will tell you that most of the textbooks in, in those uh, basic designations, the, the CLU, the CHFC, the CFP, uh, most of those textbooks have become standards. I, I mean, other colleges are using our textbooks you know, to teach those courses. A number of colleges are using them. Uh, I, I'll give you one example. The University of, of Houston downtown uh, mm -hmm. has set up a risk management bachelor's uh, degree, you know, bachelor's science in risk management. And um, they looked at the field of textbooks and, you know, said, you know, we can't improve on, on what you're, you're offering there. So they've adopted, I want to say, probably four or five of the courses. They're using their people to teach it, but they're using our textbooks. So um, most of them are standards uh, in in the world. I, our book on uh, you know life insurance law, for example, uh, you know started by experts at the Wharton School of Business in Pen in UPenn. We inherited it, keep it up to date and current, and and it's it's a standard um, in the field. So. Okay, we've been. I'm assuming there are some things that are outside of these uh, curricula, and, and, and let me use the example of the series we've been doing recently on alternative investments. We've been talking about things like direct investments in real estate, hedge funds, venture right. capital, commodities, right. currencies, foreign currencies, obviously, uh, managed futures, those kinds of things. Now, I assume a lot of those are not going to be covered or even touched on in some of these courses, correct? In the basic courses, uh, not so much, although we do get, you know, somewhat into um, uh, certainly uh, ETFs. Uh, they're not, you know, alternative investments, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. we get, but, uh, get sure. somewhat into limited partnerships. But in our graduate uh, courses, in the Masters of, financial, uh, Masters of Science in Financial Services, we do touch more in on the, uh, the alternative investments. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And the... Uh, basically, part of what I'm trying to get at with that is that some of these are going to be on their uh, scope, just beyond what most financial yeah. advisors can deal with, both in what they've been educated on, but also what they're allowed to sell. Uh, and that's where that ethical dilemma comes up occasionally, when a client says, well, I really am interested in, uh, let's say, yeah. a direct investment in real estate. Can you help me with that? And you know, yeah. does the advisor talk him out of it because he doesn't really understand mm -hmm. or doesn't want his money to leave versus saying, you know, well, I, you know, I don't know a lot about it, but I, I can understand yeah. your concerns and, you know, you need to invest in that separately. Yeah. That's well, not an easy I, one. Yeah. As an, as an advisor, again, for 16 years, you know, you, you certainly, and I certainly saw situations like that. And here's the way I handle it. Um, I'll give you just a quick analogy. If I'm running a, uh, you know, a hardware store and, and you walk into my hardware store and you want a, Oh goodness! I don't know. Um, you you want a diamond ring? You, you know I, I I don't sell diamond rings. Right. 
But I mean, I let me. I can talk to you about a nice lawnmower, and and I, you know, we can do the hedge clippers. I'm not in the diamond ring business, uh, and and so I had no problem as an advisor to say, for example, uh, I'm I'm I cannot offer you options, you know, puts and calls mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so on. Uh, I can certainly offer you full blown comprehensive financial planning. I talk to you about retirement or planning, estate planning, and so on. But if you're going to do, you know, puts and calls and other options, um, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't, uh, you know, offer that for you. I, I just don't. Th- I would be leery of an advisor who says I can do everything. Right. You know, whatever right. it is you want, I'm a specialist in it. I'm going to tell you, you cannot be the world's expert. In, in all of these topics. There's too many of them, and they're too complex, and they're too constantly changing. Um, you know, if I want an estate attorney, for example, then I'm going to get somebody that's specializing in estate planning, uh, not someone that's doing divorce cases or, you know, uh, right. product liability, et cetera. I want somebody that's going to specialize in estate planning. No, and I and, think that's uh, where, you know, your coursework and, and, and this whole code and, and the courses in ethics, I mean, those are the kinds of important things for people to recognize they can't be experts at everything, and they just need to say that and uh, be up front with the client. It, it is, and, and believe me, as a, as a young agent, young rep, young planner, that's sometimes difficult to do because, you know, you want to you impress people with your, with your knowledge and so on. Right. And I'm going to tell you, it's a mistake to stretch beyond uh, what is in your competency because people's lives and fortunes uh, can depend on it. So, you know, so like, exactly right. you know, like they, they tell athletes, you know, play within yourself, you know. Uh, if you want to go on and become an expert in alternative investments and so on, you can, you can do that. But if you don't have that expertise... Uh, don't be dabbling in it. It's too important. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I'd like to also get your opinion on the equity and bond markets today. And both of them are near historic highs. And quite frankly, on Friday, yeah. we had a new high on the, the S&P 500. But mm. let me use a quote, and, and we'll make this a little more fun. Here was a quote that was okay. recently in Barron's. Investing in equities today with the unresolved mm-hmm. debt ceiling and other issues like taking a shower when you know Norman Bates is in the house. And let me just remind our <laughs> listeners who may not know, Norman Bates was the killer in uh, Hitchcock's Psycho. So given that quote, uh, what's your reaction or what's your comments on the equity and bond markets today? Well, my first comment is I can I can clearly remember sneaking into a drive-in show and seeing Psycho <laughs> and Norman Bates. So he is uh, he is burned within my uh, my consciousness. Um, for your for your uh, listeners that don't know Norman Bates, but at any rate, um, here a couple of comments. I, I sure. think one that many people who are investing in let's just let's limit it right now to the stock market. Sure. Many people investing in the stock market do not understand uh, the risk that they are taking. Unfortunately, uh, some advisors do not fully understand it. And and some of that is because of a different, uh, almost generational perspective. That 30-year-old advisor may be saying, well, hey, uh, just, you know, you've got 30, 40, 50 years ahead of you, uh, invest for the long term. That 65-year-old now retiree 
who's got mm-hmm. all of his or her money, you know, uh, in front of them, and that's what they're going to live on for the next 25 years. Trust me, they have a totally different perspective of, uh, you know, protecting that, that money. So one thing is, is to uh, the retiree, that 60, 65-year-old retiree, certainly needs to drive the train and be doing investments that he or she, A, understands, and B, is comfortable with. So, for example, I am, you know, in my 60s, I am very comfortable with the market. I understand that we could see a drop of 20 or 25% next week. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I am investing for the long haul. And you say, wow, you're in your 60s investing for the long haul. Yes, because I understand the demographics. I may very well live 20 to 25 years, not to mention my wife who may live well into her 90s. So I feel I have, for that um, part that I have in the market, I'm still investing for 20 and 25 years down the road, and I am confident that the U.S. markets, uh, you know, will muddle through, uh, you know, the way they have for the last 100 years and, and with its ups and downs. Uh, so understanding the risk that a person, you know, uh, takes on in the market is important. And then it, uh, a corollary to that is do not put, you know, tomorrow's rent in the market because it, it can be lost and it can drop in a heartbeat. But no, I like I, actually, yeah. I was going to say the, 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 the way you started that was you, you have to understand that the market could drop 25% tomorrow. And Absolutely. given that scenario, are you comfortable Absolutely. with the amount that you have invested? And I think that's a great way to look at it almost every single day is do I feel comfortable with that level of investment or my current um, uh, portfolio mix, given it could happen? It may not happen, but yeah, on the other hand, not. I need to understand it's there. I like that. I like that well, as a good way to view it. Inve- staying in the market, Ron, to me, every day is a new bet. It's a new right. bet. I put it. Maybe I put it in a year ago, but if I keep it in today, it's a new bet. And it, and it, you know, there are a million things that can affect the market uh, over which we have zero control. There can be statements from uh, from the Fed. You know, there can be mm-hmm. uh, something going on in Europe. Uh, there could be a new attack wherever in the world. Uh, many things can drop that market in a heartbeat and drop it drastically. Uh, and again, as you wisely said, uh, you know the the past is not uh, you know a predictor of the future. But uh, if we look at the events uh, of, of the, even the last thirty to forty years, I was a young investor in October 1987 when that market dropped 22.6 percent in one day. That's hard to even visualize today. And you know what? My attitude was. I'm 33 years old. The market will come back. I didn't panic. I kept putting my little dollar cost averaging sums in there. Um, about uh, eight months later, as I recall, the market had recovered. Five years later, the S&P had averaged 9% from the day prior to that drop uh, to that point five years into the future. And, um, and, and, and I, I, that has created in me a view toward the longer term. Uh, which I have, yes, faith in that the country. And not, not. I don't have faith in the market. I have faith in the in the country that the United States will survive um, and continue to on it on its track. That people will continue to get married and need products and and need services. And that's what the stocks are. 
the stocks are a reflection of the companies behind them, and the companies behind them are a reflection of the continued growth uh, of the country and the you know the products and services that people will continue to need. Well said. Alan, what advice would you share with a young person who's just considering or maybe just started a career as an investment advisor? What would you share with them? Well, number one is is to recognize that your career is one of lifelong learning. If you're not learning every day, you're you're losing ground. And uh, I think it was my background uh in in the military uh, uh, the military is one of the greatest training and education Absolutely. organizations in the world why because people's lives depend on it and that's pure and simple when you make mistakes in the military people die um, if you if you didn't put that uh, engine together correctly on that f4 somebody somebody could easily die and so if you didn't pack the parachute correctly somebody's going to die and you just i just learned that commitment to 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 knowledge and uh that stood me in good in good ground i didn't get the designations to blow people away i got the designations to get the knowledge that i knew was in those courses and um you know as new material came along uh, i said you know i need that i've got to have that and i would you know launch into it and and take the courses and and you know get the designation but um so first of all, it's a commitment to lifelong learning. If you're not, you just can never get to the point where you say, you know what, I know all I need to know. And, and I tell my students, it's what you know after you know it all, or what you learn <laughs> after you know it all, that really does count. And that's a little exactly. play because you, you'll occasionally get some people who say, well, I know it all, and, and they don't. Uh, the second is empathy. And that's the word that I use. You have got to get yourself into the shoes of that person that's across the table from you. If you're 30 years old, your life view is far different from that 60 or 65-year-old retiree. And the plan that you make for that person has to be their plan, you know, not your plan. And that's kind of an humbling thing. In In those meetings with that client, you need to be listening 80% of the time and, and talking no more than about, you know, 20% uh, because you need to learn everything you can about those clients, you know, their wishes, their dreams, their aspirations, and, oh, yes, all about their children and their grandchildren who who may be, you know, uh, a drain, a problem in the future and so on. Um, in other words, you've you got you to know the client, which is the first you know, axiom of, of being a good financial advisor. And then the third is is uh, integrity, and you've already alluded to it. You're going to come to those crossroads when somebody may need a product that, you know, doesn't pay you much, but it is exactly what they need. And there's where you need to say, I'm going to give you what's best for you. Um, I just tried to say, what would I do if it's my sister? What would I do if it's my brother or my mother? You know, what would I do for them? And the commissions and the pay or, or the fees or whatever, all of that will take care of itself in, the, in, in, in down the road. Well said. Well said. And by the way, just so that some of our listeners don't think that the first suggestion is a self-serving, because you work for the college, the American College, uh, the uh, lifelong learning, I'll just share with them, uh, which we haven't yet, which is the Tenth Commandment of Investing. Keep yeah. learning. Use what oh. you know. 
Oh, absolutely. So it is absolutely critical. Now, before we close, we need to remind yeah. our listeners of the website of the American College, and it is an easy one. It is theamericancollege.edu. Echo no David confusion. Uniform. Exactly, for education. Perfect. The American College couldn't be any easier. Uh, well-known name, well, uh, well-picked name, and uh, good thing they reserved it back in 1927. Now, uh, Alan, we've covered a, a lot of topics, educating investment yeah. professionals. Are there some topics or comments that you'd like to add? Well, uh, yes, um, and, and one is, is somewhat of a you know shameless uh, advertisement, but um, we have this huge, uh, you know, bulge of baby boomers, myself included, that are retiring. Mm-hmm. Estimates are seven to ten thousand a day uh, reaching age sixty-five now, and that's going to continue for another fifteen or sixteen years. So there's just literally millions of us out there that that need uh, retirement planning. Well, for the last 30, 40 years, the emphasis has been on accumulation, you know, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. asset allocation, as you know, and strategic allocation and tactical allocation. Well, now we're all out there with our IRAs and our 401ks and whatever, and we've got to turn that those assets into money in our checking account so we can pay the dead gum utilities and and whatever else we're paying for. Well, that is a uh, an art and a science. And so we have responded to that call with a, with a new designation called um, the Retirement Income Certified Professional. It's the RICP that you'll see, and it is my last designation that I I've just, gotten this year. I, yep, I noticed it. And, I noticed that. Yep. And I'm going to tell you, it blew me away. There's so much depth and, and breadth of knowledge in there. But we get right down into the nitty-gritty of now how do you take these assets and turn them into income. You know, what are safe withdrawal rates and so on. Uh, and my goodness, there's, you know, there are advisors out there that say, oh, well, the market's going to do 9% a year. You can take nine or, you know, 8 or 9% out of your investments. Wrong. Right. Because if you're exactly. going to stretch those things over 25 to 30 years, you're now looking at, you know, safe withdrawal rates, you know, in the neighborhood of 4% or even less. And some of our faculty doing cutting-edge research on uh, on those safe withdrawal rates in the given environment of extremely historically low interest rates that we're seeing on, on bonds and CDs and so on. So that is extremely exciting. The reason I took the, the, the courses, and I did them straight up, no cheating, uh, but I want, to teach, I want to teach those courses now. And uh, I said, you know, if I'm going to teach it, I need to know everything that's in there. So honest to goodness, I, I looked at every lecture, every video, every sample exam, and, and, and marched through those courses, and they are tremendous. Excellent. It, it, it is the biggest, uh, it is the fastest of our uh, designation that we've ever uh, launched here. We now have over 3,000 students already uh, wow. just within the last year or so that, uh, you know, taking those courses. So. Wow. Now, we've really good. Uh, focused on the investment side of the education. I'm hoping that either yep. Dr. Barton, you, or other faculty members join us again sometime in the future uh, to enlighten us more on the insurance side, which is an aspect we didn't have time to cover today. Yeah. Well, that would be great, and I, I would love to do it, or Dr. Barton could do it. I, I teach a number of the insurance classes, exactly. and I, um, I'm just going to tell you, I am an unabashed uh, advocate 
of, of um, risk management and, and particularly life insurance. And I think it does things that other products simply cannot do, and that is create an immediate estate, uh, you know, the so-called pennies for dollars. Uh, and I've certainly used it in my own life and my own planning, and uh, my, my, I know what my kids will get because most of that will be through, through the life insurance. Exactly. And, uh, well, I appreciate but, your joining us, Professor McClellan, and it's yeah. uh, been a great interview. Uh, sorry for the technical problems. Yeah. We don't know what happened, but hey, I we have made no it. idea. I was hearing you, and I, I dialed back in about three times every time I would hear you, but I, uh, you obviously couldn't hear me. And, Ron, no, let me just say, I appreciate sure. your, your having a, you know, a real uh, in-depth uh, program like this, and, and I know your, your listeners appreciate it, too. But, uh, wow, this is really cool. You know, not just sound bites, but getting fairly deeply into some of these subjects. It's, it's great. I, I applaud your efforts to do this. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Yeah. And look forward to having you back on again. Okay. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, I've covered a little bit of our summary already just because we had a gap there. Uh, one of the best ways to increase your wealth, tune to this show twice a month. We'll share the investment fundamentals, some great ideas, and help diversify and grow your portfolio. On our upcoming shows, we'll have experts on commodities and forex trading as alternative investments. Now, due to the uncertainty and the ongoing criticism we hear so much about lately about the Affordable Care Act, we'll have June Schaefer. I haven't had the pleasure of knowing her, and I participated in one of her seminars, and I certainly learned a lot, and I'm sure you will and I will continue to learn when we have her on the air. Now, don't forget about the time change for the next show. If you're in Canada, 48 of the United States, or a few regions of Mexico, you'll change your clocks this coming weekend. We'll continue to air at 9 a.m. Arizona time, but the time you listen will change as you change your clocks. The next Wealth DNA radio show will be the second Monday of November, Monday, November 11th, 9 a.m. Arizona, same place, same time, unless, of course, you change your clocks in the meantime. Yes, that is a holiday in the U.S. and a few other countries, but we will have a live show as we always do on holidays. Sorry, Pete, you get to work again. Our guest on that show will be John Stevenson. We'll be talking about commodity trading. John is the author of The Little Book of Commodity Investing, A Little Book, Big Profits. So be sure to join us for another show packed with great alternative investment and ideas. And I'm so sure you'll benefit from the show. I'll provide our usual money-back guarantee. If you're not completely satisfied, we'll refund 100% of the money you invested to listen. As usual, we provide the lineup of guests and topics on WealthDNA.us, and there you'll find the archive of past shows. If you have some questions, comments, suggestions, additional questions, just send an email to me, ron at WealthDNA.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Happy investing, and be sure to pick your advisors carefully. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. 
and on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life, and remember, at 50, you're just getting started.